0: When I moved to Sweden, I became subject to a different kind of multiple lenses, you could say, because Sweden is one of the most emancipated countries when it comes to gender, but it was and still is in many ways behind when it comes to racial equality.
1: That's Mina Salami, a Nigerian, Finnish and Swedish writer who speaks five languages fluently and has lived all over the world. She calls herself Miss Afropolitan, a term you might hear many Africans who have lived both in the West and on the African continent use to refer to themselves. She says her multicultural identity is the foundation of her work as a Black feminist author and the inspiration behind her new book, Sensuous Knowledge, a Black Feminist Approach for Everyone. I'm Malika Bilal, and in today's Quick Take, I speak to Salami about why she believes Black feminist theory is a practical approach to life for all. The story behind Salami's work starts with her childhood in Nigeria.
0: Growing up in Lagos, I witnessed a society which was deeply patriarchal, but my grandmother lived with us and she was a, a strong matriarchal figure. And so I, I grew up in this really contrasting environment, basically, where, you know, I saw a lot of empowered women, but I was also constantly aware of the patriarchal socialization.
1: Salami's grandmother, Alaja Eduke Salami, was responsible for the health and well-being of the family. She was an herbalist and gatekeeper of the Yoruba traditions and customs in her family's lineage. For Salami, her grandmother, grandmama, as she fondly called her, taught her how to use her voice and her agency.
0: I was, you know, raised and I think I was just born to be somebody who resisted any kind of, you know, authority or injustice. I, I fought back against these things. But young Mina would pay a price for that. I was always labeled a militant person, you know, and and I went through my trials and tribulations of trying to come to terms with what it meant to be a militant woman in a world where militancy was clearly frowned upon.
1: Even with those challenges, Nigeria still felt like home. So a sudden move to Malmö, Sweden, was a wake-up call, forcing her to re-examine her identity as a Black girl in a new, homogenous surrounding her tight curls and darker skin stood out in Sweden. While she says the Scandinavian country is considered one of the world's most liberated places for women, she faced a new set of challenges.
0: Being a a Black person, I was subject to racism and to racial attacks of varying degrees.
1: She found refuge in writing and wrote mantras to remind herself that she was more than the negative attributes associated with Blackness. And more than
0: what people defined her as. I did find some old journals where I wrote statements like, you know, Black is beautiful, Black is proud, and so on. And I, I, I reckon that that is one of the first times that I'm identifying as Black and simultaneously also ascertaining something positive to do with Blackness. Because I was living in Sweden in a society where Blackness was frowned upon or, or worse, you know, attacked.
1: Were these self-affirmations you were giving yourself, little moments of
0: encouragement? Yeah, it's, it's quite sad in some sense, because, you know, you shouldn't feel the need to to write those kinds of self-affirmations. I mean, I'm probably 13 at the time or something like that. Oh. It was around that time that I began to identify as Black. I didn't identify as Black growing up in Nigeria, even though I certainly think I had an awareness of the term. And I think most Nigerians had an awareness. We wouldn't deny that we were Black, put it that way. But it wasn't something that you would necessarily identify as.
1: Until the European majority around her pointed out her otherness, she didn't realize that being Black meant something other than good. Ultimately, Salami's response to what she says was a feeling of inferiority at times, because of her race and gender, led her to start a new narrative which she did in her now award-winning blog, Miss Afropolitan.
0: As soon as I discovered the the platform of blogging, I intuitively and automatically started to express a lot of the the experiences I'd lived and, and share them with others. And, you know, it really resonated more than I could ever have imagined.
1: Many of her posts challenge accepted ideas, with headlines like new questions for the world and stereotypical portrayals of African women in the media. And she's amassed a following of thousands.
0: I've been writing my blog, Ms. Afropolitan, for over a decade. I guess my blog filled a niche in that sense because i i wanted it to do that as well i wanted to write about topics that i was grappling with that i knew a lot of people were grappling with something they were thinking but they didn't they didn't have access to
1: as the blog gained traction and readers salami says she felt there might be an appetite for what would become her first published book so this is your first book it's a collection of essays that question how we see ourselves, our history, and our world. That's that's what I took away from it. What inspired you to write this book, and who did you write it for?
0: One of the motivations for writing my book, Centrious Knowledge, was that so many people would contact me from, from around the world, but especially from the continent, you know, asking things like... Can I can I cite your blog in my thesis, or wow. you know, can I or can I buy this like in a book format? And and I and I recognize that there was a need um, to put some of those well similar types of ideas in, into a something that is tangible as a book.
1: Salami says she was motivated to write the book as a way to tell the stories that have been missing from the literary canon. Stories of lived experiences from an African feminist
0: perspective. We had four offers in the end with my agent, um, which was congratulations. Thank you. Which was um, you know very reassuring, but we also had about forty rejections. <laughs> so, and many of those said things like, "Oh, this is too African." Somebody said the mere fact that an Africa-centered worldview was seen as not marketable for many in the publishing industry. It was quite disappointing, especially, you know, I live in London, in in Britain, which is uh, a country that has uh, such a a history, a complex and ugly history with the African continent. And this idea that, you know, Africa is something so far removed from British civic discourse is, is really troubling because of course the relationship is very close. So
1: the title, Let's break that down. What is sensuous knowledge?
0: So sensuous knowledge is a, it's a mind, body and soul approach to knowledge, and one that is rooted in Black feminist discourses and traditions. And I also propose a feminine way of knowing. There is a slight disdain and rejection of femininity within feminism, which is, quite interesting and ironic, you could say. I argue in my book that until a woman can be considered feminine and womanly when she is powerful and bold and assertive, until we get to that point, I think feminist work won't be complete.
1: So that's the sensuous knowledge part. The other half of the title is a Black feminist approach for everyone. So what is a Black feminist approach and what is the key difference? Because I'm sure there's people who are out there thinking, what's the difference between Black feminism and feminism? Would you mind reading a short passage from your book?
0: I absolutely wouldn't. And in fact, I think this passage is quite fitting. If there is a group that always has challenged the premise of Europatriarchal knowledge, it is Black feminists. Black feminists have always emphasized that the struggle cannot be against only patriarchy, as white feminists have said. Neither can it push back against only class, as socialists have said. It cannot tackle only race and imperialism, as black radicals have said. There is no other ideology, not socialism, not Marxism, not black radicalism, or white Western feminism that at core has created liberation theories for addressing class, gender, and racial discrimination combined. I want to clap.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll snap. But <laughs>
0: feels more appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Salami says Black feminism has to do with all of the above. And until recently, she says, it's been nearly impossible to get those stories told.
0: I think that things have changed quite rapidly, actually, this year because of the protests um, and the Black Lives Matter growing and things have changed in subtle and overt ways that we have yet to even see. But I I certainly feel like there's much more of an openness toward Black and African feminisms, toward the voices of of Black women having a range. It felt like you could only tell one type of story of black feminism and and since that had already been told you know it was like oh we can't we can't have another one of these these books we're done yeah mm-hmm. we're done with that so yeah I'm, I'm i'm just really glad about how much things have changed and and i think we can now even see that there are many different types of of black and african feminisms that are emerging so
1: then what would it look like to apply a black feminist approach to the current unrest that we're seeing right now in our
0: societies. Applying a Black feminist approach would be definitely looking at the current moment with this kind of global, international Black solidarity. Um, We must not uh, think that we have to fight this in small, isolated groups. That is so limiting, you know, we are facing the same questions, similar kinds of problems, everywhere where Black people exist, which is everywhere. We limit ourselves so much when we think that we have to fight in our little pockets of community.
1: Though the Black experience is not monolithic, whether you're Black in Nigeria, Black in Sweden, or Black in the United States, there's a shared reality, all of which has a home in Black feminism and salami
0: Hopes in her new book. Ultimately hope that the book will be a kind of a companion um, and a friend. So I hope that, uh, you know, it, it is a book that impacts readers both inwardly and outwardly.
1: You've talked before about women embracing their power. What does it look like?
0: The number one thing that it looks like when a woman embraces her power is that she is operating from a place where she is at the center, putting power in the mind. Cultivating a mind that cannot be manipulated is the essence of empowerment. When you know who you are, you know what you stand for, and you're, you're kind and open and willing to listen to others, but you, you own a mind that cannot be manipulated. I want that
1: on a bumper sticker. That's that's, that's great. <laughs> and that's The Take. This episode was produced by Oni Hacha, with Ney Alvarez, Priyanka Tilbe, Dina Kispé, Amy Walters, Nigin Oliayi, Alexandra Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer, and Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.